Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you today, guys? Good, thank you. Very good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, feeling more chipper than I have for previous episodes today. Thankfully, the sun's out. Nice. It's not looking too bad over here, so yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Right, so we'll get straight into the news. If we can, please, chaps. JK, do you want to go first with your story this week? Uh, yeah, so uh, the story I have I found in the Sky News website. It is about a Welsh startup company called Spaceforge. Who, good name. Yeah. <laughs> who are about to set up a prototype factory in space to create uh, lighter metal alloys and super efficient semiconductors. So uh, wow. what's happening is wow. that, yeah, I was waiting for that way. You're a bit late. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was a bit late, wasn't yeah. I? I was, bit, I, was, I was stunned. Yeah. We sounded more <laughs> underwhelmed than we meant to. So there is going to be a rocket going from Cornwall, from spaceport in Cornwall, on a Virgit orbit Boeing 747. And they are going to shoot out a rocket which will have an onboard factory. And the reason for doing this <laughs> is because the reason behind this madness is the, hang on what so it's going it's going to make stuff as it's going along i believe so so uh, and it's going to once it's made stuff it's going to send it back so they're going to make nickel based alloys uh, in aircraft turbines four air- aircraft turbines that usually cost a hundred thousand dollars a kilogram are only going to cost them a thousand dollars a kilogram now so it's, wow. it's, the price has come down to to be able to do this in space. So the economics of space manufacturing are, have crashed completely. So it's an opportunity for them. And it's also a unique moment for British kind of work in outer space simply because it's the first time they'll be launching something like this out there. Yeah, cool. We did do something a long time ago, I think, tried to fire something out. I don't know where it was. No, it's, we uh, launched something into space. All oh, right, yeah. I wonder why they chose Cornwall. Is it nearer to space? Because it's right at the end of the country. I guess it's probably like um, a bit more open, less likely to uh, kind of have any kind of flying traffic and stuff. Nice so, beaches. Like California. Well, yeah, also presumably it's because there's a whacking great ocean right next to Cornwall because it tends to sort of stick out into that, doesn't it? So mm. if anything goes wrong, it's less likely to land on the on someone's Splash house, I'm imagining. The French. Yeah. It could land on no the French. French. <laughs> well, it'd have, to, Which would be it'd bad, have to go in right? the opposite direction to Cornwall, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd be better launching from Kent if you wanted to land on France. I tell you, if they come where I live, because there's, there's no one around here except sheep and cows. Yeah, no one really minds if you blow up the Yorkshire moors or dales or whatever it is you live on, do we? So, Yorkshire dales. Oh, well. well, I think there'll be a few people. But, yeah. So the event's happening on the 8th of September, by the way, so keep a look out in the news. Yeah, I will. To awesome. be able to view it. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Nice one. Okay, so mine is a lot more boring than that. The only reason I'm really going to talk about it is because it's directly affected me in my day job and it's annoyed me a little bit. So <laughs> basically, there's an interesting story going around at the moment that uh, Azure, which is obviously the Microsoft cloud platform, is having capacity issues, which is potentially down to logistics and uh, availability of components and bits and pieces. But in the UK, particularly, they seem to be struggling. And that actually includes in the UK South uh, and West regions, which uh, I've been deploying some stuff to as part of my day job. Um, and it's uh, it, it's just fascinating, really, because you tend to think of the cloud as just being infinite, you know, being infinitely That's scalable. That's what they and, said. Mm. That's yeah, what they said and, in know, a marketing blurb. 
Exactly. So, you, you know, my, my plans and my designs are all like, oh, well, you know, we'll just sort of scale up the number of VMs we're using depending on what demand is and stuff. But what happens when you can't? And yes. that's kind of a question I'm actually having to consider slightly. Now, this is quite a sort of anecdotal story. It's on the register and it, you know, I'm not 100%, I'm not privy to all the internal operations of Microsoft. So they may have a fix for this and we may not need to worry too much about it. But it is interesting, isn't it, that we're starting in some places to hit capacity even on the cloud, which is supposed to have infinite capacity. So and that's down to real world logistics. So I was deploying some AWS resources t'other day and there was a warning, there was a message that came up saying, error due to capacity reasons, we cannot deploy, please try again later. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, so Azure is having exactly the same problem. And I was hitting that the other day when I was trying to configure something. So isn't that interesting? So that so wasn't the story infinite. that was on. How dare they? Is it only yeah. affecting the UK? Is it because of no, allocations? Yeah, yeah. It's because of Brexit. Can we blame Brexit? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> that is so, Brexit. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks for that. <laughs> so... Uh, this is going to be a long podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it's not just limited to this part of the UK, but it's a UK publication that I was reading the story from. So that's probably why they're reporting on the UK angle. But yeah, it's definitely biting in, in some areas now. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Cloud definitely. isn't as infinite as we thought. Will, did you want to go next with your new story? Speaking of Brexit, are you oh, here we go. Are you nervous? I'm, <laughs> I, am, I am dreading <laughs> what you're about Boris to say. Boris Johnson. I don't know if you've heard, chaps. What's the tech angle here, Will? Our illustrious <laughs> Prime Minister has resigned. He hasn't, though, has he? That's well, the thing. He, has, he, he hasn't, hasn't resigned. He's, he's resigned as leader of the Conservative Party. But I said the tech angle, there is a, there is a, there is a kind of tech angle in the... Um, if you, in terms of, I suppose, his style of management, because ultimately he is his manager of his, he heads up the Conservative Party. In terms of his promises, his promises to everyone, in trying mm. to please everyone and pleasing no one, which which I think was ultimately his downfall. That and the lying thing, you know. Well, that's I, I think that was that was a <laughs> yeah, but that was a symptom of it, right? Is that yeah, he, true. That he, yeah. He, I don't think he maliciously was lying. It was just he. It was just that kind of style, which is the an interesting, an interesting thing to take away. Sorry, to be completely mm. clear, I wasn't accusing him of lying. I was saying that people have reported yeah, that he has, that's outrageous, and so at, as a result of that, yeah. Well, but I <laughs> guess to say, and you're nervous I'll, about yeah, what I'm going to say. Well, yeah, that's because I've met you. Um, but it's it is worth pointing out, though, isn't it, that a lot a lot of his downfall has been down to what's been reported about what he said, rather than what he's necessarily actually said or what his intent. Well, was and everything true. else it this just reaches true. a you sort of critical point doesn't it through, through the press but i suppose this this section of the podcast is about is about what's in the what we've seen in the press so i i, I had a, a dearth of press articles to choose from and i chose one from the economist that you wouldn't normally see a particular publication the title of the publication but it was basically titled clownfall mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. they're obviously Which big I found fans particularly of Boris, amusing. Then, yeah? Yeah. But is that is was that? I mean, it gives you an insight into how the Economist publication, you know, the regard they had for a. For, I would for, expect for to see leader. that in like in in some of the, the sun, you or, know or, yeah, yeah, horrendous. The other, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has yeah. become his persona though internationally. If you look at international media and what countries think of him, I think there's a likening to Trump in terms of oh, definitely yeah. his style. Yeah. He's yeah. not a traditional yeah. politician, is he? He's a bit of a kind of. Let's just mumble our way through a few things. And the way he talks is not articulate. And he's just got this kind of persona around him that the media have kind of played on. There's yes. a very funny clip. You can find it online, actually, of it's on YouTube. It's from years ago now, but it's of Arnold Schwarzenegger, that well known or orator. 
watching Boris Johnson give a speech and then leaning over to the person next to him going, he's stumbling all over the place. He's not very good at public speaking. <laughs> and if Arnie's saying that about you. I think, I think he's... <laughs> yes, true. I actually disagree with that. I think Boris is a fantastic public speaker, but he's got this, this very English, very I'm a buffoon, honestly, even though really I'm probably sharp as a tack kind of thing going on. And, and he does... Yeah. He does He's a very entertaining speaker if you ever actually watch him speak at an event. And obviously, he will probably spend the rest of his days earning huge amounts of money at speaking events. But he is actually an amazing orator, but not in the traditional sense of the word. Mm. And I think that's what got him elected, a lot of it, because of the speeches that he gave around Brexit and other bits. He's just quite unconventional in his style, whereas Trump is neither a good orator nor <laughs> nor a lot of those other things. So, you know, it's I, I get the comparison to a point, but I don't think it's very fair sometimes. Agreed. There's a few uh, like pieces of footage of him doing silly things, you know, where he gets stuck on that kind of oh, thing yeah. That's, yeah, and he takes out a, a little Chinese kid in a rugby match kind of thing. You wouldn't yeah. see that kind of stuff about John Major, would you, or somebody a bit more traditional yeah. like that? Dave, David Cameron once said of him when he got stuck on that zip wire holding yeah. the two flags, which is what you're talking about there, JK, yeah. uh, he once said for any other politician that would have been a death sentence. For yeah. Boris, it was a triumph. And yeah, yeah, he did have that ability, but he kind of came to rely on it, didn't he? Yeah. That's the problem. He was also a disruptor in the political establishment, which, let's mm. face mm. it, needs disrupting. As was Trump, as was Trump. If they could harness that kind of the magic that comes with the disruption, do you know what I mean? That Mm. Boris, let's face it, Boris did have. You know, if they could harness that and he could quell the kind of, you know, the the, the flaws that were there, he could have been a great leader. And I think that's Mm. the, that in a way is the tragedy of, of, of Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. And I think there were certain things that he did in office, like handling the COVID pandemic and yeah. stuff. That vaccine rollout was got off to remarkable. a very, very, very shaky start, didn't that it? But amazing, in the end, the I was quite proud of the relationship how our in country... Ukraine as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We went from a position of be, having the highest death rate in the pandemic uh, of the developed world, pretty much, to being the world leaders in terms of how we yeah. rolled that stuff out. And it yeah. was a, a sort of a bit of a moment of national things. pride, I guess. There so, were bad things. Yeah, but there you know, a bit of a mixed legacy in some ways. The, the most difficult thing for me, actually, is looking at the parade of faces for who might uh, replace him <laughs> yeah. and going, I literally do not want any I of might you go people for it, from, I might go for from it. any of these parties. And not just on a party political thing. Like, I don't want anyone from any of the parties yeah. to be the next prime minister. And I just look at it going, I don't want to vote for any of you people. You know, anyway, yeah. that's another problem. I but, told hey. you you'd be interested in this article. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, fair enough. I am surprised, though, by the economist's going that I know, sort of I know. That's uh, why I picked tabloid. It. That's why I picked it. It's a, and it's actually, just quickly, it's actually a change of tack for the economists. If you've noticed, they're kind of using that kind of language now in their publications as their headlines, um, which is interesting in itself. Brilliant. All right, we'll move into the main topic for this week, if that's okay. So space! In space, <laughs> no one can hear you podcast. Space is our, our focus for the next three episodes of the pod. So I'll just run through quickly what we're going to do as a, as a kind of skeleton, and then we'll move into this week's specific topic, if that's okay. So we're going to do a three-part series on space and technology in space specifically, uh, relevant to our industry. So this episode's all going to be about the uh, current use cases for space and tech in space, which Will's going to run us through. Then next week, oh, sorry, next month will be the environmental impact of using space for these uh, these kinds of things. And then finally, we'll talk about the future of space in a third episode. So pretty exciting to kick off another one of these little series, series, series I, whatever. So Will, current use cases for space, why do we care and what's the tech angle? Space. 
My only experience previously with space or Spaceman, I suppose, is Sam Ryder in the Eurovision Song Contest. What has happened recently in space is in getting to space, and I think JK touched on it previously, is the plummeting cost of taking of of taking whatever, taking a human or taking some kind of payload into space. And really, I think it's down to three rich white men. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to be challenged on that. Yeah. Um, but if you look at what's happening now, we've got SpaceX, we've got Virgin Galactic, and we've got Blue Origin, which are Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and Jeff Bezos. Yeah, they're 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 the founders of these organisations who have, through commercial means and through making space travel and the mechanism of space travel commodity-based, as in you can mass-produce it, it's not specialised and therefore it's really expensive. They've produced various ways of getting things to space. One of them, which really the last two that I mentioned, so it's Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, is about space tourism. And space tourism, I think, is going to be the beginning of other things. I don't know what you guys think. But at the moment, space tourism is really going up in space for recreational purposes. So I'm not sure if you're going to see it on booking.com or airbnb you know probably not if you have a look at the prices that are being advertised for getting into space and also the kind of people that are flying the market that they're targeting which are very rich people and a lot of celebs i think martin shatner was one wasn't he from star trek that's recently gone up before in around i don't know turn of the century you could hitch a ride to space on a rocket, but it was one of the country space agencies, one of the national space agencies, and it would be about 20 to 25 million. Along comes SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, and the price has, in some cases, plummeted. So that actually, if you want to go into space, and the, and the definition of space is maybe a bit ambiguous that these rockets go to. If you want to go into space, it's about $300,000. I think it's for a return trip. <laughs> it better be. Is that with an overnight stay? <laughs> with an overnight stay, right? Okay, that's an interesting question. So, if you, <laughs> let me just touch on that quickly. SpaceX, right? NASA has announced that they're going to use SpaceX SpaceX kit along with some other stuff from Boeing to allow astronauts to go to the space station. Okay, so it'll be it'll be fifty million dollars for a return trip. Yeah, but these are astronauts, right? So this is a bit different to space tourism. So it's fifty million dollars, which sounds a really lot. That doesn't sound like prices have plummeted. I wonder if they're doing a premium because it's NASA. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have to be trained in a certain? You will for this. You will for this. These are for astronauts, right? Not pretend astronauts that Jeff Bezos thinks he is. The price of an international to stay on the International Space Station is thirty five thousand dollars a night. So that's what that's what wow. you'll be, that's what you'll be charged. It's like a Dubai hotel, isn't it? Thirty five grand a night. <laughs> Maybe only the store that you're staying in. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever stayed in a hotel that's safe. Not yet. Yeah, it is is worth talking about that actually briefly because it was, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode of the podcast, but I do deeply respect the FAA over in the States for having the sheer balls to, on the day that Jeff Bezos went to space, change the definition of what an astronaut was so that he couldn't qualify. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I still think that's hands down the funniest thing I've ever seen happen to a billionaire. Because he was prancing around (laughs) like he was one, wasn't he? With his particular suit, his own little suit and his own little... His own little suit and his own little set of astronauts' wings made up for him by his company because obviously NASA wouldn't give him any. And then on the same day, they were like, now we're changing the definition. And they changed it to, you must actually contribute something while you're up there. 
<laughs> is it? Is that what the definition of being yeah, an astronaut that is? Literally, you have that to literally, it wasn't NASA. As in you have to do a spacewalk or you have to launch, uh, help launch a satellite. You, or, I mean, you have to be... So the, Sorry, this isn't NASA that did it. It was the FAA. Yeah. And, and you specifically have to contribute to the flight either in terms of being involved in the dynamics of the flight yeah being a crew member oh, I see. it cannot okay. be fully automated yeah. or when you're up there in space you have to do something that is in, in contribution to the mission not just sit there or mm. float about taking pictures or something so basically you have to do something that is of use while you're tea, up there i guess well yeah i'm not sure that counts either you know what i mean so it's like it has to be for a proper purpose yeah. not just to go up there on a jolly in order for you to qualify as an astronaut so you have to be adding something to the sort of scientific body of knowledge or, okay. or the uh, you know ensuring the safe operation of the space vehicle or whatever because it is ultimately he was just something. a space tourist even though i suppose he was the founder of blue origin it's worth talking about mm. blue origin or yeah the the rocket is actually called new, new shepherd I don't, some of these names yeah um but yeah. it's it's a it's a vertical takeoff vertical landing rocket which is uh, not the worst name in space no, tourism actually that goes that, that goes to elon musk and the automated boat that they land the boosters on which is called you know i still love you <laughs> The USS or whatever, you know, obviously not USS because that'd be named. When I but. first thought of when I first thought of New Shepard and the Blue Origin, and it was vertical takeoff, vertical land, I was thinking they were in the rocket as it took off, which they are, but also as it landed, which they're not. It's actually comprised of two bits. You know, you've got you've got the booster bit, the booster rocket bit, which they which they call propulsion module. They've got to change the name as well, of course. And then the crew sit in a little capsule that sits on top, right? So the 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 booster pushes the capsule they're all attached into and it's not they don't go they go into a kind of the technical definition of space uh the carmen line i think yeah and all that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, so, it's uh, suborbital anyway so, yeah so, yeah so basically the carmen the carmen line is at 100 kilometers or yeah, so uh, 62 be below miles that. above the so earth it's going to be below that and blue, blue so blue origin went over that and branson only went up to 50 miles up in virgin galactic so that was why bezos and branson fell out over whether or not right. one of them had gone yeah, space or yeah. not so yeah the carmen line's quite a, an important definition so so the rocket is the thing that vertically lands and the crew capsule is separated from the rocket and is land. It lands basically with, you know, in the traditional style with parachutes and sort of floats down. Mm. So that's that's yeah. it. Inter- the interesting thing about this particular rocket from Amazon, yeah, from Jeff Bezos, is that it's entirely controlled on board by computer by the computer systems on board. There is no ground control in terms of this rocket. So all the sensors that are capturing the information are fed into the computers that are on board. I'm not sure it's using AWS. <laughs> but interestingly enough, AWS is used in terms of the development of these computer systems and all the rest of it that then go on board in this particular rocket. It's above the cloud, so it can't be using the cloud, <laughs> right? Very good. Very good. Yeah, so interestingly, though, it is all t- pretty much all automated, I think, on in SpaceX's stuff. So like, um, what the major testing point they had with... The Dragon capsule, the Crew Dragon capsule, and the one that's used for freight for the ISS, the International Space Station, the main bit of testing they had to do was ensuring that it could dock itself without a pilot doing it. So I'm pretty sure that SpaceX's vehicles that are actually used for transferring stuff to the ISS now are automated as well. 
pretty much end-to-end. I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain they are. Do the costs differ for each of these three kind of tourism providers, SpaceX, Virgin, and Blue Origin? I think they do. Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly how, so I can't answer that question with numbers. But I think possibly Branson's is cheaper because obviously he's being slung under a plane and then shot off on a rocket motor once he's already very high up in the air. Mm. Whereas obviously Bezos goes straight up on a rocket and so does SpaceX. So it's uh, it's a little bit different, I think, potentially. So why is all this important to to tech, Ben? What's important about that and why is, is tech, why is it relevant to us? I mean, there are a lot of future applications for this kind of stuff. So being able to get stuff into space in such a mundane, cheap kind of a way is very important um, because it, it enables an awful lot of potential applications. So one thing I was looking at was... Microsoft ran a little project uh, a while ago called Natic, Project Natic. I don't know if either of you guys have heard of this one. But essentially what they did was they built a underwater data center and they stuck it off the coast of the Orkney Islands near Scotland in the UK and ran it for two years on the seabed. And what they found in that time was that due to there not being any air conditioning, due to there not being any people running around in the data center crashing into things or pulling cables out or ramming hoovers into the racks or whatever – the servers inside this this metal tube that they put at the bottom of the sea were eight times more reliable than a control module. So so the same thing, but deployed on land, yeah. essentially. And also you've got all sorts of advantages like passive cooling and things because obviously the cold water that the thing is sitting in mm. means that you don't need as much air conditioning and so on and so forth. Now, there have been similar experiments, I think, in terms of what there are going to be in terms of putting data centers into space, which is fascinating. So there are other things you've got to consider in space because you're not within the protective bubble of the atmosphere. Mm. So there's like radiation that you have to shield against and all sorts of stuff. But in theory, you can imagine a constellation of data centers orbiting the Earth, you know, in low Earth orbit or whatever, and being self-contained, sustainable, self-repairing modules that provide literally an above cloud capability. You know, they're, so they're part of the cloud, but they're, they're providing it from outside the atmosphere and outside the interference of humans. So that's a fascinating use case. And actually, recently, uh, I found a story where they were talking about datacenterknowledge.com, that most exciting of websites. But they were talking about how in 2022, so last year, 2021, represented the first time that humanity deployed a conventional data center in space. So the HPE Spaceborne Computer 2, very catchily named, which is a bunch of edge compute stuff, high performance computing machines, basically, and and very fancy graphics stuff and everything, was the first off the shelf graphics sort of crunching setup that was deployed to the International Space Station in 2021. So there is actually a data center now stapled onto the ISS orbiting the Earth, which is quite cool, with a bunch of basically production Earth kit in it, albeit shielded, but running up in space. So it's definitely happening. You know, we're moving to that point where compute and edge compute and all that stuff is actually done in space, which is amazing, really. Is it still just a thing for big companies to prove that they can do it? That's why they're doing it. Or is it actually a better model than having a data center in your local town? Well, it's interesting because when you're in space, there are certain differences, as I said before. So there are challenges, sure. I mean, for example, if you're putting a data center in space, you've got to... um, you know, you've got to make it so yeah. that you don't need to go visit it every five minutes. So if something mm. breaks in the local town, you just send a guy, right? And he, he goes in and he, you know, hikes the broken hard disk out or something and he replaces it. You can't do that in space, you know, just doesn't, doesn't, it's not practical. So you have to build your systems with lots of redundancy and bits and bobs. But because 
they are floating around in space or at the bottom of the sea or wherever they happen to be in these extreme environments. There's all the other advantages I mentioned. So, you know, you've got the the fact that you don't need as much air con. You've got the fact that you, you know, you, you get that. From a cost perspective, is that like worthwhile? Like, yeah, they're, they're looking at ways to make it worthwhile. Yeah. But basically, yeah. this idea okay. of deploying data centers and compute and stuff into extreme environments that bring with them some advantages and some disadvantages the costs yeah. are coming down a lot another example mm. is permafrost so where they're wanting to put data centers in the arctic and then they dig them down into the permanently frozen ground and because of that you know they're kept mm. nice and cool and you don't have to chew up loads of the planet's resources to do it but space in particular is as the name implies right there's a lot of space up there <laughs> so if you want to put a bunch of data centers somewhere space isn't a bad place to do it because you're not going to annoy yeah. anybody but as we'll come on into the into the future episodes what do you then yeah. do with them how do you decommission them you know you can't just let them float yeah. around up there forever banging into each other or you end up with kessler syndrome so it's interesting the way it's moving and i guess if you're at war with a certain country and you've put data centers up in space that serve your military then it'll be harder for them to take them out i guess so little things like that in terms of i mean i think i think that's a topic probably for another day but but yeah, you know, warfare in space is a big, a big thing. Have we talked about the low Earth orbit satellites proliferation? This, this has happened at the moment because I suppose this is this sort of touches on warfare as well in terms of one of the use cases for for these satellites. The tumbling costs of of delivering payloads into space has led to the proliferation of more and more satellites, and also the technology of satellites has changed and the footprint. I don't even remember the space shuttle. You know, it used to be a tremendous amount of effort to deliver a satellite into space that usually had people associated with it. You know, as proper astronauts, not Jeff, um, <laughs> who who would who would who would get involved in the delivery, you know, the unloading and delivery and configuration of that of the satellite mm. into the relevant orbit. These days, you are now delivering literally thousands. Sat, not maybe not in one launch, but the const, what they call constellation of satellites are made up of thousands of satellites. And you've got a term like cubesats yeah, I was going to ask well, about that. Which mm. are satellites mm. the size of size of shoeboxes, yep. right? Why? Why would you do this? Well, when you had a particular geostationary satellite before, it would serve and cover one area of the mm. Earth, yeah, which is great for that particular area, but not so good for the rest. All these constellations of satellites are basically giving global coverage. So complete areas that, you know, are completely out of reach of any kind of connectivity, be it fiber or whatever, are now covered by satellites, which of course then means that fast broadband yeah, mm. uh, is now available. GPS is now available. The similar kind of use cases that you would have in in satellites, but just vastly, oh, yeah. vastly improved coverage. Yeah, I wonder who's involved in that. Oh wait, it's Elon Musk again, isn't it? <laughs> you got to give the guy. He's got some it vision, is, hasn't he? Um, yeah. So, st- you, he has so some Starlink. Yeah, Starlink yeah, is what you're talking. Oh, and and its competitors, yes. but yeah, sort of exactly. CubeSaty kind of broadband relays that enable cheap connectivity anywhere in the world. Which he's he's also donating a lot of them to rural areas in places like Africa and stuff to give people internet connectivity. He's doing good stuff. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a fa- again a fascinating exploitation of space and and the ability to do it. And yeah, all in low earth orbit, isn't it? So amazing. Of course what this does mean, what this does mean is now we've got thousands and thousands mm. and thousands of, you know, devices up there that are going to go end yeah. of life, yeah. right? Cuz no, nothing lasts forever. I suppose there is some mitigation, maybe there is some light on the horizon in that they are 
thinking about this. So before they just sort of let them go, right? And and they may or may not. Yeah, you, you can to safely it. deorbit them a lot of the time, so that you basically yes. use what little fuel yeah. is left on the satellite to to fire its maneuvering and orientation gear or whatever, or even just spin the gyroscopes so that it will tumble out of orbit and then it will burn up in the atmosphere yeah. harmlessly. Not so great when you've got nuclear-powered satellites like the Americans and other people do, but mm. but yeah, so a, a lot of the time. Yes, but they are thinking about them. And also you've got light pollution, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the things that... JK, you're going to talk about this yeah. in the next session anyway. One thing, one thing is interesting about the, the, the Starlink, the SpaceX deployment of all these satellites, is that actually they pack them... You know IKEA, how they pack your furniture as flat pack, <laughs> yeah. and then and then there's the kind of a and the reason they do that is for logistics, right? Because mm. it makes it hugely cheaper. That's how they do the satellites. They're all flat packed, IKEA styley, and then they're automated in terms of the deployment is automated in terms of how it then unfolds into and. Um, because the because the footprint is fairly small, do you know what I mean? The complexity of it isn't so great as before. You know these huge. If they're flat packed exactly like IKEA, then that's going to be a lot of spare Allen keys and random screws floating around. <laughs> <laughs> they just dump them in space. Not required. Just a few more. De- which brings more us on to what we're going to talk about in the second episode, which is all the Kessler syndrome stuff. So where you end up with lots of space junk. And just to go back to your point about warfare earlier, J.K., there was an interesting case I read about a while ago where I think it was China or somebody tested an anti satellite missile on one of their own old satellites and blew it to pieces and then there was an international outcry like absolute international condemnation because people were like no 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 no! you can't do this because it might set off the chain reaction where basically Mm. space junk smashes into other things which makes more space junk and you end up with a sky that you literally just can't put anything safely into but we will come on to all of that in the second episode but yeah it's a fascinating topic this guys i think we probably need to draw it to a close for this episode is there any closing thoughts that you wanted to go through will just on what you were going to talk about this week and what why it's important and why we should care and all that good stuff well there is an auction platform for jeff bezos's rocket if you want to go onto it and bid for a seat on his rocket so i encourage you to do i said are there any important thoughts that you (laughs) (laughs) no i'm joking i think it's the applications of space isn't it for our industry which are the really interesting bits you know how is it going to affect it moving forwards what are we going to be able to do that we couldn't do previously and it's um it's definitely the next frontier for for all that kind of stuff Mm. any other thoughts jk I just hope we don't fuck it up like we fucked up <laughs> the earth. Mm. Well, fortunately, it seems like a lot of people are... I live in hope. It seems like a lot of people are thinking about it now, though, doesn't it? Which is interesting. There's a lot of people we'll talk about in the next episode true, yeah. who are already yeah. working on practical ways to recycle and remove junk from orbit and all this kind of stuff. So whereas it's been a bit mad to date, people do seem to be cottoning on a bit earlier this time. Anyway, fascinating stuff. Uh, Thanks very much, guys. Um, So next episode is going to be all about the environmental impact. So we've already started getting into that, but we'll talk properly about things like light light pollution, Kessler syndrome, uh, emissions, all kinds of stuff like that. So that'll be fun. So we'll move on, if we can, then to the recommendation section of the show. Will, did you want to go first with your recommendation this week? All right. So Sky TV, right? It's always had a dish. I think the death of the satellite dish. Ironically, we've been talking about satellites. Mm. But the death of the satellite dish, as far as Sky is concerned, I think because they're going to probably hook on the coattails of all these various different satellite constellations that are going to be yeah. on. So they don't need their own Sky dishes at enormous cost. Sky glassing, is it? And the streaming puck thing that you mentioned exactly. in a previous episode a couple of times? Have you got one now? Exactly. Or? No, I just want to talk about Sky Glass versus Sky Now versus Sky Q versus classic oh, Sky right, Top. Okay. Sky, Sky Top works. <laughs> 
Um, versus now they've got a new, the standalone version of Sky Glass, yeah, which is this 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 streaming puck. What is the difference? And this is a question to you between having a Sky Glass streaming puck. So this would be a little device, probably the size of your Apple yeah. TV, mm-hmm. that will stream Sky. Like, like a um, Chromecast. Or, uh, Fire yeah. TV stick yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly like that. So what's the difference between that and Sky Now? Sky Now is an app, right, that you put on your whatever device, yeah. your end user device or your mobile, with it stream Sky TV. Why didn't I just uh, use I it? guess maybe if you don't have a smart TV that has Sky Now. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Or modern TVs do come with that, but yeah. But, you know, no one has Netflix, right? Yeah, you don't have a dongle or anything for Netflix, do you? You just literally, yeah, put, yeah. yeah. You just put the it's app on an and app, go. isn't it? That's either on your TV or or whatever. But anyway, I'm looking forward to the. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking forward to this streaming streaming Sky TV at a vastly reduced cost. I'm just wondering how long Sky. Yeah, gonna interesting that one. Cool. Okay, uh, J.K., did you want to go next with your reco? Yeah, there is a app that I've been using called ShapeTime. So it's uh, something that you can find online if you go to www.shapetime.ai, and it allows you to visualize different time zones if you're working with teams across different time zones. I think it's quite smart. How does it visualize it then? Is it like on on the globe or? Yeah, so it's got multiple clocks that you can have on your desktop that will tell you what time zone each of your teams are in and you can then also kind of start collaborating through the the app as well you can start scheduling meetings in different time zones in a single calendar as well so it's quite smart ah, that's awesome okay cool so my recommendation is probably one that will's watched i'd imagine but i'm way behind on this show and so i'm sure we've recommended it on the podcast in the past but specifically season two So yes, anybody who's out there who's watching the fourth season right now is going to be going, what is this guy on about? But I've started picking it up again recently and it's awesome. I'd forgotten how good it actually was. I think the second season is better than the first one, although I I did enjoy the first a lot. But yeah, Stranger Things on Netflix, really, really enjoying it so far and looking forward to gradually binging my way through it and and catching up. I know they've started splitting the seasons up in the uh, the latest one, uh, which is why I've been waiting so that I don't have to deal with all of that. I can just kind of binge my way through. But but yeah, so um, I, I definitely recommend it. That's a new model on Netflix that they're doing now, is that they don't launch yeah, them all in one go. They it, sort of launch them weekly Yeah, I mean, now. so I've done a few shows on, I've watched a few shows on Disney Plus recently that have all followed that model. So the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and a few others, mm. they came out sort of weekly or they released the first two episodes in one go. And I know Amazon have been doing that with The Boys uh, season three, which again, I haven't watched yet because I wanted to wait for them all to come out. But uh, yeah, it seems to be quite a new thing for Netflix to do it that way. I wonder why they're doing it. I think I you get higher viewer numbers. Does that yeah, because it's the whole water cooler effect, it? isn't it? So if you release episodes every week, yeah, people have okay. time to talk about them and get their friends interested and so on and so forth. <laughs> so it's ah, a yeah, it's a it's a demonstrable yeah. effect that you get higher engagement so if you think about something like game of thrones that was coming out weekly i mean the hype was massive yeah. for each episode yeah it did and didn't it? if you were to release the yeah. entire season in one go sure you get a big spike but it's not a sustained spike that keeps people yeah. subscribed to your service so it's uh yeah i think that's a lot of why they do it which goes back to the old traditional way in which we in which series used to yeah. be released right if you remember the BBC, <laughs> Blackadder, you guys probably don't, but, but they used to, it was a weekly thing. It was yeah. a weekly thing, yeah. you know, it was a scheduled weekly thing. And you, as you, as you, as you excellently said there, Julian, it, it, the, the momentum built up 
up and up and up and up until you know you had millions and millions and millions of people watching the, the towards the end of the end yeah of the as they should do because Blackadder is awesome. It's another good record. But yeah, so uh, anyway, I, I'm really enjoying it, but um, I don't like that kind of weekly release model. So I tend to wait till everything's out. And that's also another option as well, is, is just wait till it's all come out and then you can watch it at your leisure mm. rather than worrying about whether there's a new episode out or what have you say. So. Anywho, I think, chaps, that's the show. So thank you very much to everybody who's listening out there. Interesting debate as always. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch, we are available at ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com with limited spell out in full on twitter we are at ddk limited again with limited spell out in full and we are dalton day candola on linkedin so just remains for me to say a big thank you to well and jatinda for this week and thanks very much talk to you all again next time thank you see ya